You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. Uh, let me preface these this exposition of these tenets uh, with with two points. Uh, first, as I mentioned, uh, these are the these are fifteen essential tenets. That is that each one is necessary. Okay, each one is necessary, and collectively they are necessary. That one needs to affirm all of them, not just fourteen. Of them, not just fourteen of the fifteen, but all fifteen. So, what what does this imply? Well, it implies that there are secondary interpretations that are not essential to the pre wrath position, and people have to recognize that uh, they don't affect the core teaching of pre wrath. For example, pre wrathers, you know, we can disagree on, say, for example, the identity of the two witnesses, and you know whether they whether the two witnesses, you know, do they minister during the first or the second half of the seven-year period? Uh, most, including myself, hold that it is during the second half that they uh, that they minister. But there, there can be. This is I, I don't consider this a fundamental, essential core issue. It doesn't affect the the, the main thesis of pre-wrath. Another secondary issue is the identity of the you know Babylonian harlot. Okay, uh, or the you know the identity of the restrainer, uh, even though you know many pre-rathers affirm that the restrainer that that Paul talks about in Second Thessalonians chapter two, we believe that it's Michael the archangel that Paul is re- alluding back to uh, uh, Daniel, a text where uh, Michael the archangel is the main character there of ha- uh, possessing a restraining. Ministry, uh, but I don't consider it, it's not it's not a definitional issue for pre wrath. Uh, you can disagree on that. I mean, whatever whatever restraining agent the Father has chosen to restrain the Antichrist, it does not matter in the fundamental core of the pre wrath. Be that Michael, the Holy Spirit, the Son, the Gospel, the Church. Okay. Um. So. You know, I mentioned this in, in that last point because there are there are people I think confused out there thinking they they cannot be pre wrath because they don't believe that the restrainer is Michael, and that's just not the case. Um, <clears throat> well, another secondary issue is whether one believes you know the beginning of birth pains are you know are, are the beginning of birth pains that Jesus mentions in Matthew twenty four are they are they uh, the same event as the first three or the first four seals, and even their timing. You know, some believe that the 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 uh, the first three or four seals happen before the seven year period. Some believe they happen uh, begin at the midpoint, and most believe, uh, such as myself, that <clears throat> or at least the, the the first three seals they will happen during the first half of the seven year period. So, I mean, whatever position you take, again, it doesn't affect. Th- these are secondary issues. It doesn't affect the pre wrath position. So there, there's freedom, freedom of disagreement among pre-rathers on the secondary issues, and there are many 
of these non-essential interpretations. Um, I'll just name a few more. There's disagreement on the, the origin of the, the Antichrist figure. Where, will he be Islamic, European, Jewish, or come from some other ethnicity or religion? Okay. Um, another issue is the structure of the different aspects of the structure of the book of Revelation. Or the timeline and events immediately happening after the seven-year period is completed, such as when does the New Jerusalem, exactly when the, the New Jerusalem descends, the New Earth, the New Heaven occur. You know, does it happen at the beginning or the end of the millennium? Okay. So, on, on this first point that I'm prefacing, uh, even though these secondary issues, they even though they they vary in degree of importance, and they are important, don't get me wrong, they're not, though, essential to the pre-rat position. Uh, they're not definitional. Okay, There can and are, obviously, disagreements on the conclusions of these secondary interpretations. Okay, uh, there is a second point I want to, to preface before I go through the essential tenets. Uh, I've I've heard not a few times from people that that you know they are I've heard this expression they they are pre wrath post trib or post trib pre wrath whatever either way uh, and when I hear this is for me it's, th- this doesn't make any sense because it's it's contradictory uh, because pre wrath and post trib you know positions have. Um, contradictory elements to them okay so you can't be pre-wrath and post-trib at the same time it just doesn't work that way i mean theological terms positions they have meaning okay they have meaning and to say that someone is pre-wrath post-trib kind of it doesn't have meaning actually uh i mean the term post-tribulationism it possesses a a a specific theological interpretation on the second coming of christ and like was the term pre-wrath pre pre-wrath denotes a a different theological meaning on the second coming of Christ. I mean to be sure there is affinity between pre-wrath and post-trib particularly that you know both interpretations we believe that the the church will one day face the antichrist persecution. And even even on this last point uh there are many post-tribs particularly those from the historicist post-trib uh perspective who do not even affirm a future literal uh, antichrist figure i mean in fact of of the 15 of the 15 tenets of the pre-wrath position that i'm i'll be going over uh, the post-tribber <clears throat> can only affirm three maybe four of the 15 tenets and many of these 15 pre-wrath tenets are they're just in direct contradiction to the pre-wrath position so it's best that, that the so-called, quote, post-trib, pre-wrath label, it, it should just be jettisoned from the debate because it's confusing to the student of prophecy who wants to learn about these issues and wants to wrap their brain around these issues. So I think, you know, it's, it's, it's either best to either affirm post-trib or pre-wrath uh, because one cannot affirm both at the same time in a meaningful sense of the term. I mean, if someone wants to be consistent, they can't do that. I mean, there. I guess there is a third option, and that is, you know, for this person to come up with a whole new theological label to describe their idios- idiosyncratic interpretation. I suppose 
one one could do that. Okay, uh, so let's begin with the first tenet of the the pre wrath p- position, and these are not in any necessary particular order. Although there is a rough, roughly logical order to these fifteen uh, points. Okay, number one, uh, there is a future seven year period, and at the midpoint. Of, the at the midpoint of the seven year period, the Antichrist will be revealed and commit the abomination of desolation, initiating his great tribulation against the church in Israel. That's number one. I realize there's a few statements in this first tenet, and that's because these three events are inextricable in the pre wrath interpretation. They so, uh, I mean, you know, someone may object and for example, and claim that they deny a future seven-year period. Uh, but at the same time, they'll say, well, I still believe in a future Antichrist figure. Okay, fine, but that's not the pre-wrath position. Uh, that's, for example, you know, many historical post-tribs actually believe that. Okay? So that would be a post-review, not a pre-wrath. Uh, and so in, in this future seven-year period, you know, obviously— um, it, the 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 midpoint, um, the Antichrist will be revealed and commit this abomination of desolation. Okay, and that's when the great tribulation begins. Is at the midpoint uh, against both both the church and Israel, particularly the, the against the remnant of of <clears throat> Israel. Okay, number two, uh, there is a biblical distinction between the Antichrist. Uh, great tribulation against the church in Israel and the day of the Lord's wrath against the ungodly. Okay, the latter ha- event happens after the the former event. Well, this this is a very important tenet for the pre wrath. This is something I stress all the time: this biblical distinction between the Antichrist's great tribulation. And the day of the Lord's wrath. And both po- pre-tribs and post-tribs actually deny this. And I understand some post-tribs may have a certain version of it. It's really amorphous, actually, uh, and really hard to. It seems like they kind of mix the the great tribulation and the day of the Lord's wrath together, even though they recognize that there is per- persecution within the day of the Lord or something like that. But this is this is. Very, this is very important because it helps, uh, at least in my experience of working with pre-tribs and post-tribs, uh, this is a point where the light bulb comes on for them. Because when they see this, they recognize the, this distinction, uh, it has resolved many difficulties in the pre-trib and post-trib you know, schema of their position. And notice it says that the the latter event happens before the former event, so there's no overlap. Okay, you don't have the anti, you don't have any part of the great tribulation happening during the day of the Lord's wrath. You don't have the day of the Lord's wrath happening during any part of the great tribulation. The great tribulation will happen first, then at some day or hour we do not know it'll be cut short, and that's another point later. I'm getting ahead of myself, but uh, and then you have the day of the Lord's wrath. Okay, so that is. Uh, point number two, or tenet two. Number three 
is the gathering of the elect mentioned in Matthew 24, verse 31, refers to the rapture. And I have a cross-reference here, Mark 13, 27, Luke 21, 28, Revelation 7, 9 through 17, and 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18, and 2 Thessalonians 2, 1. So, yeah, the gathering of the elect mentioned in Matthew 24, 31 refers to the rapture. You have to affirm this one. Well, you have to affirm all of them, but you have to uh, affirm this one to be considered pre-wrath. And so, uh, in my book, Antichrist Before the Day of the Lord, What Every Christian Needs to Know About the Return of Christ, I I have a major section in there giving four reasons why the gathering of the elect in Matthew 24, 31 refers to the rapture. And again, someone may say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, post-tribs also believe this. Yeah, that's true. Okay, but these are, again, I said these are necessary reasons, not not uh, each one is sufficient reasons. These are necessary reasons that you have to affirm to be pre-wrath. As I mentioned before, post-tribs can agree with about three of these 15, maybe four, it can be argued. Uh, so, but again, the whole point of this is that all 15, if you affirm all 15 of these, you can't say that you are pre-wrath if you don't affirm these. If someone says, hey, I don't believe the rapture happens, I don't believe the gathering of the elect in Matthew 24, 31 is the rapture, uh, then you, you, that's not pre-wrath. I mean, this is, a, again, this is a core essential tenet of pre-wrath. Okay, number four. <clears throat> At an unknown day in hour during the second half of the seven-year period, the Antichrist Great Tribulation will be cut short by the revelation of Christ to resurrect and rapture God's people. And this will be followed immediately by the day of the Lord's wrath, executed upon the ungodly. So, if you ever hear of anyone who says, well, pre-wrath teaches that the rapture will happen three-fourths into the seven-year period, immediately a red flag should go up. I mean, they are, they, they're woefully ignorant of the pre-wrath position, or, or they're just intentionally misleading you. That's not what pre-wrath teaches. Uh, pre-wrath affirms that the rapture will happen Sometime during the second half of the seven-year period. We don't know when. It's just going to be sometime during the second half. We don't know the day of the hour. It's not going to be 75 days after the midpoint. We don't know that. Not a, exactly a year or two years. We just don't know. Jesus says we don't know the day of the hour. Okay? And, you know, I hear some people, well, yeah, but we can know the year. You know, I'm sorry, but if you're going to play play around with God's words um, and the language that he's uh, given us, um, then you know what? That's that's something between you and God. But if you don't if if you don't get His message, the whole point is that you don't date set, and you're going to be playing around with games with with Jesus's words. Okay, well, we don't know the day of the hour, but maybe we'll know the month, maybe we'll know the year. You know, then you're missing the whole point. Uh, it's going to be sometime during the second half of the seven year period. You know, and <clears throat> so resist date setting. Um, and don't try to usurp the privy of the father thinking that, you, you know, you know, you know better, uh, than the father by, by date setting. And <clears throat> so pre-wrath, uh, pre-wrathers do not date set. If you hear someone say that they're pre-wrather and they're say, setting a date or they're saying, well, we, I don't know the date, but it is going to happen, you know, whatever, 75 days after the midpoint or a year they're not pre-wrath. They, they don't get pre-wrath, and they're trying to 
they're trying to peddle uh, their own, again, idiosyncratic view and appropriating the popular term pre-rest. So beware of those, those people. So another element in this in, in number four, the number four tenant, is that the Great Tribulation, it's going to be cut short. Okay, that is, it will. It's not going to be three and a half years in dur- duration. Yes, the second half is three and a half years in duration, but the Great Tribulation that begins at the midpoint, it's going to be cut short. Okay, I mean it, it's shorter than the three and a half year period. So the day of the Lord's wrath, it, it's going to begin when it's cut short, and then the remaining three and a half years, it's going to the day of the Lord's wrath will be um, run its course. So when the Great Tribulation is cut short, it's going to be cut short by the return of Christ to resurrect and rapture his people. Then Christ will unleash his judgment upon this wicked world. Okay, number five. Uh, On the same day the rapture happens, the onset of the day of the Lord's wrath takes place, just as it was in the days of Noah and Lot. You can find that in Luke 17, 22 to 37, and uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, this concept of on the same day. So pre-wrath links the deliverance event with the judgment event. So the day that Christ returns to the clouds, he will first deliver God's people through the resurrection and the rapture. Then on that very same day, the day of the Lord's judgment will begin. Okay, number six, uh, the second coming, the Greek term behind that is parousia, is it's not a simple instantaneous event. Instead, the second coming is a complex whole event containing various purposes of God. Uh, now, when I, when I contrast simple with complex, I'm not talking about, you know, whether something's easy to understand or difficult to understand. By simple or complex, I'm talking about the uh, whether something is very defined, that, that would be um, very defined, multifaceted, that would be a complex event, in contrast to something that's undefined and maybe you know one element or two element, elements within that. Okay, the second coming is is going to be a defined, multifaceted, complex whole, right? And this is where God will fulfill certain divine purposes during the second coming of, of, of his son, beginning with the revelation of his son in the sky, displaying his Shekinah glory, the power to the whole world, and resurrecting and rapturing God's people, followed by the day of the Lord's judgments upon the, uh, the wicked and Antichrist kingdom, you know, restoring Israel to, to salvation, uh, the culminating in Christ's uh, earthly reign. Right, I mean that is a complex, multifaceted event. When Christ comes back, He is going to be glorified. He's going to be glorified. Uh, in contrast to post-trib interpretation and amillennial interpretation, they view the second coming as this—it's this undefined, amorphous event. It's, it's almost almost going to like happen instantaneous, and then and then poof, you know, we're ushered into eternity. No, 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 no. That is not what the Bible teaches. The biblical ta- data, the biblical data conveys that this is not going to 
these events are not going to unfold in a, a single moment or a single day. And the second coming instead conveys a complex, multifaceted course of prophetic events within the single comprehensive whole second coming. I mean, I love to use, use the analogy of the first coming of Christ. I mean, people can, you know, I, I, I suppose, yeah, Christ could have came back, or, or I'm sorry, Christ could have, in his incarnation, right, he could have came uh, um come to earth, right, for one day and been crucified maybe in one day, right, or something, you know, and and that's it. No, that's not what happened. But he could have, I guess, I, you know, I mean, God is sovereign. That could have chosen to, that would, that could have been the mechanism, right? But that wasn't the mechanism that the Father has chosen. Uh, Christ, the first coming of Christ, the first parousia happened. Uh, over a 33-year course of time, the Father fulfilled certain divine events within the Son. There was, of course, his birth, his growing up, his ministry, healing ministry, teaching ministry, um, the Passion Week with the you know crucifixion, the resurrection, and then eventually the ascension. The second coming is also going to be this comprehensive, whole, complex, defined event. And Christ is going to be glorified in these events. So that's number uh, number six. Is Prerath affirms a multifaceted future, this complex whole second coming. We believe in one future second coming of Christ, but within that larger whole, uh, the the Son is going to have a number of redemptive actions in that. Okay, number seven. Although the battle of Armageddon is an element within the complex, multifaceted whole second coming, the Armageddon does not initiate the second coming. Instead, the second coming begins between the sixth and the seventh seal. Boy, this is an important one because um, there is a, a deep-seated assumption out there among pre-tribbers and post-tribbers that that they they make that they, they believe that the battle of Armageddon as depicted in Revelation 19 initiates the second coming and that's just not the case uh in the timeline of the events the battle of Armageddon is actually it happens much later actually after the second coming has already begun uh it happens after the trumpet judgments and after the bowl judgments or at least uh just before the the last bowl judgment is executed. So I think I think people make this assumption that the second ha- second coming of Christ begins uh, with Armageddon because they in Revelation 19, you know, it's uh, depicted with you know Christ. Uh, uh, it, it shows Christ in the sky, and so by that fact, uh, I think they conclude that oh, that's when the second coming happens. But that's but the context, though. Here and again, I've written on this, but so I'm not going into some full elaboration here. But I, uh, the the context, and instead, when you look at the context, it, it this is a judgment event. It's not a deliverance event. In fact, it the um it is the people of God in glorified bodies who accompany Jesus at Armageddon. Okay, when when the second coming begins, when Paul talks about this, when at the beginning of the second coming. 
the disembodied souls of all God's people, they don't have bodies. They're disembodied souls. They're coming to receive their bodies. Whereas the battle of Armageddon, they're coming with their bodies. They're accompanying Jesus because Jesus is coming to not deliver people, just the opposite. He's coming to judge people immediately. So, uh, so yeah, the, the the battle of Armageddon that is uh, and again I've argue, argued this in my book Antichrist before the day of the Lord. So pre wrath place is the beginning of the second coming between the sixth and the seventh seal. Uh, I mean, indeed, the battle of Armageddon it is part of the second coming. That's true, but the but this final battle will not occur until toward the end of the the judgment elements and way after the resurrection rapture. Okay. Uh, the Battle of Armageddon uh, doesn't it doesn't initiate the Day of the Lord's Judgment. It actually it actually um, concludes it. If you want to be more accurate on that point. All right, number eight: the Resurrection and Rapture happens between the opening of the sixth seal and the seventh seal. Okay, I, I, I briefly mentioned this in the in the previous tenet, but here it's explicit. So pre-wrath views the great multitude that no one can number in Revelation 7 as the people of God who are in their new glorified state where they have just, you know, they've been raptured and now they're 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 they've been ushered before the throne of the Father. Okay, number 9, we'll move a little bit more quickly here. Number 9, <clears throat> the first six seals are not part of the day of the Lord's wrath. The first six seals are conditional events that must happen before Christ's return. Uh, that is, the day of the Lord's wrath, okay, it's not, it's not expressed in the first six seals. Okay? The si- first six seals are not God's wrath. And this leads me to uh, tenet number uh, 10. The sixth seal portrayed in Revelation 6, verses 12 through 17, signals the impending day of the Lord's wrath. As we see, it's also recorded in Joel 2, 30-31, Matthew 24, 29, Luke 21, 25-26, and Mark 13, 23-25. So the sixth seal is not the wrath of God. Rather, it's a harbinger. It functions to portend the impending wrath, which leads us to the next point, number 11. The seventh seal pronounces the day of the Lord's wrath. So, this seventh seal it introduces the day of the Lord's wrath. It pronounces it, okay, the, the judgment elements. And what are the judgment elements? Well, number 12, tenet number 12 is the trumpets, bowls, and the battle of Armageddon contain, they, they realize, okay, the um, the execution of the day of the Lord's wrath. And this leads us to the next tenet on a sequential point. And this is very important. Number 13, the trumpets, bowls, and Armageddon will not happen before the seventh seal is opened. Let me repeat that again. The trumpets, bowls, and Armageddon will not occur before the seventh seal is open. If anyone, if you hear anyone say that they place any of the trumpets, bowls, or Armageddon before 
the seventh seal is open, they cannot be considered pre-wrath by definition. Again, this is definitional. That doesn't make any sense for the pre-wrath position. And, and this is a typical post-trib interpretation, by the way. Uh, because, like I said earlier, I, uh, post-tribs, they, they'll, they'll put, they, they think the Battle of Armageddon is the, the beginning of the Second Coming, and then some of them recognize, okay, yeah, they're, they, some of them do recognize that the rapture occurs at, between the sixth and the seventh seal. So what they do is they'll retroject the Battle of Armageddon before the seventh seal. Okay, it's a strained reading. But you can't have that. And the, the, the pre-author interpretation views the judgment elements as unfolding consecutively, not concurrently. There's no recapitulation in the, the judgment elements before the seventh seal is open. You have to have the seventh seal open first before any judgment elements. Okay? And the wording in this uh, tenet number 13, it's very important. Okay? There cannot be any trumpet bowl or battle of trumpet judgments, bowls, Armageddon occurring before the seventh seal is broken and because the scroll has to be opened first. The scroll has to be opened before the contents are unleashed. Or let me put it another way. Every trumpet bowl judgment, as well as the battle of Armageddon, has to happen after the seventh seal is opened. Okay. So if if someone claims that, you know, the rapture happens at the seventh trumpet, they cannot be considered pre-wrath, okay? Let me repeat that again. (laughs) If someone says that the rapture happens at the seventh trumpet, they're not pre-wrath, period. Sorry, that's not pre-wrath. That's that's typically a post-review. If someone wants to believe that, then call themselves post-trib, not pre-wrath. That's not (laughs) pre-wrath. So... The the uh, post tribs, you know, they typically take this concurrent view of the seals, trumpets, and bowl judgments. Uh, in my view, it's very deeply problematic interpretation because you know there's I, there's just no way of getting around the explicit language in Revelation eight one through six. If you read Revelation eight one through six, it indicates that the opening of the the function of the opening of the seventh seal it causes the trumpet judgments to be blown. Okay, I mean that's just Logical, right there. I mean, I'll just read two verses here. And um, in Revelation eight one to two, it says, "Now when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. You can't get around this. I'm sorry. Uh, just it, it's right there. The the function of the seventh seal being opened is to introduce the trumpets." Okay, and it's just a direct contradiction if someone says, no, the trumpets are blown before the seventh seal is open. Uh, I mean, a lot more could be said on this point, but uh, I actually written a, a full article on this. Uh, if you go to alankirshner.com slash trumpets, that's plural, trumpets, alankirshner.com slash trumpets, uh, you can read my article on this, on that point. Um, and I'll leave it, I'll leave the... Um, uh, the link in the show notes as well. Okay, number 14. We have two more to go. Uh, Paul's last trumpet 
in 1 Corinthians 15, 52, Paul calls it the last trumpet. This is not identified with the seventh trumpet judgment in the book of Revelation. And post-tribs do this all the time. They, they, um, you know, they, 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 they look at, um, post-tribs typically, they just on a very surface level, they see the words last and seventh and go, oh, they must be the same, um, event. These are two entirely different events. Uh, The context clearly shows that these are two different events. One is uh, a judgment uh, event, the seventh, the seventh trumpet. And um, the last trumpet mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15, 52 is a deliverance event. It's a resurrection um, event. So again, I've, talked about this in my book and I would point people to that because um, <clears throat> the, pur- the purpose of this of this show is not to argue every point I'm just trying to outline these points and okay the very last essential tenet is number 15 Christ's return to resurrect and rapture God's people is not imminent that is any moment because since a uh, discernible prophesied events must happen first. For example, the the Antichrist revelation and his ensuing great tribulation has to happen before the rapture. The apostasy, the coming of Elijah, the cluster of, these are discernible um, events and and the celestial disturbance event as well. This cluster of, uh, uh, Say that ten times real fast. The, the cluster of discernible celestial events that that uh, that has has to happen first. So you have these events, prophesied events in the Bible that clearly teach that has to happen before the day of the Lord, and of course by extension, uh, the the rapture. So the Christ and, and Christ can return. This is the last point of uh, element in in. Number 15, that Christ can return in any generation of the church. Okay, so, so this last point, uh, I know it's it's a bit of a foregone conclusion. Uh, you know, why I mentioned this, obviously that's very obvious. Well, I mean, you know, given the other 14 points, but I've I've included it here just to emphasize, to emphasize that the so-called teaching of eminency is not biblical. The notion that Jesus can return at any moment uh is a it's a relatively new teaching in the past couple of centuries uh, where, you know, it, it's just been repeated so many times in different circles in the church that people just begin to think, oh, that's what the Bible teaches. Uh, no, it's a tradition. It, it's a, it's a, it's a tradition um, that's been passed down the past few generations. Uh, pre-wrath instead, they, uh, you know, teaches that, Again, certain discernible events have to happen before the rapture, <clears throat> and that, and that Christ, uh, he can return at any generation in during any generation, but not at any moment. Okay, uh, so to, you know, wrap this up, you know, to affirm the pre-wrath position in an honest and meaningful fashion, you have to affirm each of these fifteen tenets, not to, not just five or ten or fourteen, all of them. Because each one, here's the reason, each one is definitional. It defines pre-wrath in, in a, in a, on a, some important point. So there are essential elements of pre-wrath eschatology. Again, these are the, they're, so they're the bare minimum. 
the bare minimum that someone must affirm in order to be considered a pre-wrath in its theological sense of the term. And there are there, there's many secondary issues that people can disagree on, but these are the required points for the pre-wrath position. Again, the, the purpose of this episode was not to argue these points, uh, but I just wanted to outline these uh, 15 points. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. 